0: Moving now into the fourth chapter, and we come here into something that I think is quite important to know today. What is really worldliness? What is worldliness? And let me read the first verse here. "...from where come wars and fightings among you? Come they not here, even of your lusts at war in your members?" Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. And wars have to do actually with the wars of nations. Fightings have to do with little skirmishes, that little fight that you had in the church, you remember? Come, they not hear even of your lusts at war in your members. You wanted to have your way ye lust and have not, and you have an overweening desire, there is a lack of knowledge. And we need to recognize that, first of all, you must be born again. You must be regenerated. And now that faith in Christ that regenerated, and now you're indwelt by the Spirit of God, these are the things that represented the old nature that you had. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and you desire to have and ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Now, what is the answer to this? This, you see, is the spirit of the world. When the spirit of the world gets into the church, you have, as Dr. Griffith Thomas put it, you have a worldly church. What is a worldly church that's going in for amusements? Well, I don't approve of a lot of things modern churches are doing, but back of that is strife and envy. My friend, you think it's bad out on the battlefield? Did you think it was bad in Vietnam? Well, it was, but inside some churches and the hearts of some individuals there, in the business world, you see it's competition Not long ago, a man that left this area to go back east said to me, I'm leaving an area where it's dog-eat-dog. Competition in the business world. That's worldliness. Political parties split, and one group is pitted against another. You see it in capital and labor today. And you see them meeting around a conference table. It's a battle that's going on. You see it in the social world today. There are social climbers on the social ladder. And they are stepping on the hands of others as they go up. It's in your neighborhood and my neighborhood. One family does not speak to another family. And it's in family quarrels, brother against brother. And then that spirit gets into the church. That, my friend, is worldliness. The have-nots you desire and you have not. These are the have-nots. I want to share with you today something I've shared before. I carry it in the back of my Bible. Everywhere I go, and every now and then I get it out and read it. And I've certainly attempted to incorporate this in my prayer life. What is the cure of worldliness? Primarily it's prayer. Faith, therefore, in God. And John put it like that. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith, or even the faith. It is absolutely trusting God and going to Him in prayer and committing that which is in your heart. And when you find that there's strife and envy there, talk to Him about it. Many of us, we go to the Lord and tell Him how good we are. And because we've been good little boys and girls and we went to Sunday school, He ought to give us a lollipop or a brownie pin or something like that. Now, let's get right down to the nitty-gritty, friends, where we live today. Will you listen to this? And this was written by a great saint, a mystic of the Middle Ages, Fenelon. I'm reading it. Tell God all that's in your heart. As one unloads one's heart, its pleasures and its pains, to a dear friend, tell him your troubles, that he may comfort you. Tell him your joys, that he may sober them. Tell him your longings, that he may purify them. Tell him your dislikes, that he may help you to conquer them. Talk to him of your temptations, that he may shield you from them. Show him the wounds of your heart, that he may heal them. Lay bare your indifference to good, your depraved taste for evil, your instability." Tell him how self-love makes you unjust to others, how vanity tempts you to be insincere, how pride disguises you to yourself as to others. If you thus pour out all your weaknesses, needs, troubles, there'll be no lack of what to say. You will never exhaust the subject. It's continually being renewed. People who have no secrets from each other never want subjects of conversation. They do not weigh their words, for there is nothing to be held back. Neither do they seek for something to say. They talk out of the abundance of the heart, without consideration, just what they think. Blessed are they who attain to such familiar, unreserved intercourse with God. I was laid aside, as many of you know, with hepatitis for some time. And I found out all things worked together for good. It enabled me and my wife, because we found ourselves sitting at home for a longer period of time than we had ever done since we got married. We started out on our honeymoon, and on our honeymoon, I tried out at a church. And from that day to this, we have been running. And there were some things we needed, really, to talk over that maybe it could have been misunderstood at the first, you see. And we had wonderful talks, and we just laid bare our hearts to each other. And it's the most wonderful experience. And as I said to her every night, I said, honey, this is more wonderful than our honeymoon was. Well, may I say to you, friends, that's the relationship we ought to have with God. And if I may be personal again... After I read this and studied the Word of God, I came to the conclusion I was going to tell the Lord Jesus everything. And friends, I have talked to him in such a way that if he told the authorities today what I've told him, I guess they'd send me to the penitentiary where he knows, he understands, he's forgiven, and I've told him everything. Now, The only thing in the world, friends, that can take that envy and jealousy and strife out of your heart and that restlessness that's there today, you don't need to go to the psychiatrist. He'll just move your problem from one area to another. What you need to do is to get rid of that hang-up, is just to go to the Lord Jesus, get on his couch, and tell him everything Now, that's what he's saying here is the solution to this thing here. And that's the reason today that you and I, we pray. But we pray for selfish ends, as he says here, to satisfy our own lusts. And then we are willing to compromise with the world in order to attain our goal. And he calls us an adulterer and adulteress. The friendship of the world is enmity with God. I never would, in any church I've ever served, and I've been in little towns, I never would join any of the clubs like the lions and the moose or the elk or any of the other animals, the rotary club. I just never joined them. I've been asked to join. I've been asked to join lodges. I don't join them. And I tell you the reason why. I have enough trouble with worldliness in the church. I don't need to join a worldly organization. Now... Listen to him. He's going to continue to talk now. Verse 5 of chapter 4 of James. Will you listen to him? Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? What are we trying to do? Kid ourselves today that we are nice, sweet little folk and that there's no envy and jealousy in our hearts? I heard a woman say one time, she says, well, I have a very wonderful husband. He's not jealous of me. I tell you, I want you to know that there's something wrong if the husband's not jealous of his wife. He's to be that way. And God says he's jealous of us today also. But what about jealousy in the wrong way? Jealous that you and I didn't get elected to a committee or didn't get recognition in the church And we cause strife with these tongues of ours. May I say to you, he says, why don't you go to the Lord Jesus and tell him your problem? Get on his couch and tell him everything. That's the solution to your problem, friend. But wait a minute. He has some more things to say. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. Now we've said this again and again. God is overloaded with grace. You and I just don't know how gracious he is. And he has abundance of grace. Grace means unmerited favor, but I call it love in action. God couldn't save us for love. He gave his son and now by grace. And he's got so much of it. Somebody says, Oh, I'm so wrong on the inside. Go and tell him you're wrong on the inside and ask him for grace to overcome it. He can give you grace. He's the living Christ up there for you. Now, there's something on our side, remember. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Now, you go to a doctor and submit to him. My doctor gave me, when I was sick, a half a dozen prescriptions to take. I didn't know him. man might have been poisoning me, but I had faith in him. And I took his pills, and they helped me. I submitted to him. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit to him and resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Now, a great many people says, well, how in the world am I going to resist the devil? Well, we're dealing now with something that's very practical. He says that we need a little more grace, you see, because he gives grace to the humble, and you'll not be able to do it in your own strength. You and I are surrounded by evil influences, And Christians are not alone in this. Temptation, as we've seen on every hand, God supplies this grace as needed, and He supplies that He has never runs out. You see, this is yours, God says. You are to lay hold of it. Now, some today may doubt the surplus of grace. May I say to you, all the medicine in the world won't cure the sick. The remedy must be taken. The bottle of medicine, God has the grace, lay hold of it. There may be a wonderful spring right in front of you. You may be dying of thirst. you got to appropriate it. You've got to put your mouth down in that water and or lap it up like a dog. May I say to you that you don't blame soap and water because dirty people are in the world, do you? There's plenty of water and soap today to clean you up. God resisteth the proud, he giveth grace to the humble. And this is the kind of container that the grace of God must be carried in, uh, must be carried in an humble individual. He says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. God gets to the door of your heart, and he won't come any farther. He knocks, and you've got to let him in. And that's the only way he's going to get in, my friend. By the way... Martin Luther, one time he threw an inkwell at the devil. Well, somebody says that is a crazy thing to do, not if you're resisting the devil. And the way to do is draw near to God. That's the answer, and he'll flee from you. Because the devil doesn't like God as a company, and the devil doesn't get to you unless you get too far away. You see, a wolf never attacks a sheep as long as he's with the rest of the sheep and with the shepherd. And the closer he is to the shepherd, the safer that he is. The problem with us is we get too far from God.